When we open the pages of scripture, we see an incredible story unfolding. We see a story of beauty and betrayal, a story of curses and covenants, of destruction and restoration, a place where heaven once met earth, yet was severed due to sin, a promise of a redeemer, a king who would return to crush the enemy, to rescue his people, and to restore the world back to the garden. So how do we get from this incredible epic story in scripture to what we see today in pop culture Christianity? Get your tickets to heaven now, folks. Get them while they're hot. (laughs) How do we get here? By preaching a gospel devoid of Yeshua, by living lifestyles devoid of the transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the result is that we see an epidemic, I think now more than ever, of people in my age group, those after me who are leaving the faith because they have seen hypocrisy and they've been taught false gospels. But some of these false gospels I'm gonna quickly mention because they might sound familiar to you. The first false gospel I will call the salvation gospel. Now on the surface level, it's like, okay, what's wrong with salvation? Nothing. Nothing. It is a gift from the Father. It's a gift from God. But the problem lies when our entire definition of being a believer, a follower of Yeshua, is this. Say the sinner's prayer to get saved, to go to heaven. Ta-da! That's it. This creates minimum requirement believers when, you know, faced with something from Scripture that's uncomfortable or that they have to obey you know, they'll ask the classic question. We've probably heard it before. But is it salvific? Does it lead to my salvation? If not, nah, I don't really need it. The next false gospel is one I'll call the hell gospel. It is a harsh gospel devoid of God's love. It is a gospel that focuses only on God's wrath. We know our king is a righteous, holy judge, but he is also a loving father. Okay, so the next false gospel is one I'll call the shallow gospel. It is the, you know, come as you are, stay as you are, you know, you be you, boo, sort of gospel. It's the cheap grace, you know, when Paul says, do we continue to sin that grace may abound? They're like, yeah, of course we do. What are you talking about? (laughs) It's the live your best life now gospel, and it's really popular today. Okay, so the next false gospel is the irrelevant gospel. It is the, well, you know, much of traditional Christianity has kind of decided what is relevant to me as a Christian, as a follower of Mashiach, Yeshua. So why can't I continue this tradition of picking and choosing what is relevant or irrelevant to me from the Bible? And when you follow this road long enough, you end up in the land of progressive Christianity where they've picked and chosen the whole Bible away and then you end up with no Christianity and no Yeshua at all. Now, the one thing about this false gospel is that it's easy to point fingers and be like, (laughs) those Christians. But the issue is that a lot of us have actually been here. You know, at one point in our lives, we probably looked at the first half of scripture and we're like, that's not relevant to me. I'm a follower of Christ. And then God revealed, like, oh my goodness, it totally is relevant. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about Christ. But do some of us still struggle with the second half of the book? Yeshua's walk. 
walking as he walked, what did he do? But walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, like Brian was talking about. Do we still struggle with certain things because, well, it doesn't fit within our denominational paradigm. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> so, therefore, it's not relevant to me. The bottom line is this. If it was important to Yeshua, it should be important to us. Can I just have you guys repeat that after me? If it was important to Yeshua, it should be important to me. So what's wrong with these false gospels? They're all me-centered, self-focused, lacking in repentance, lacking in holiness, lacking in the transformation of the Holy Spirit, and in the end, lacking in Yeshua. So what, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Just to put it simply, it's the restoration of God's presence. Mark 1, 14. Yeshua came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So there you have it. That is the good news. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. But what does this really mean? What is this forgotten gospel of the kingdom? Yeshua said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. Before Abraham was, I am. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we all know the story really well, so I'm kind of going to just summarize a few points that I believe point to Yeshua. So we start our story in the Garden of Eden. It's a place of beauty, of life, and of light in God's presence. A place where heaven literally overlapped with earth. It's a place where God dwelled with his creation and walked with them in the coolness of the day with his image bearers. But this perfect meeting place was not to last. We know the story. What happened? The first of mankind, Adam and Eve, they succumbed to the temptation of a serpent, believing that they could be like gods and they could decide what was evil or you know, good. And by rejecting God's light, his truth, the tree of life, they inevitably chose darkness. And this opened up, you can say like a Pandora's box, all the darkness, the brokenness, the cruelty, the lust, the sin that we see in our world today. So, of course, Adam and Eve, you know, we're like, oh my goodness, what just happened? They go to hide from God's presence, trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. It doesn't work. God's walking through the garden, calling their name. And as they're confronted... A sacrifice is made to cover their nakedness. And they're told of the consequences of their sin. There can be no fellowship between light and darkness. They can no longer dwell in God's holy presence because they have chosen darkness and they have to be sent out of the garden. But in God's great grace and mercy, he gives them a promise. That one day the offspring of a woman would come. Who would come, who would be wounded by the serpent but would crush its head, who would restore the world back to the garden by overthrowing the evil that entered into it. So this was really the beginning of God's restoration plan, this promise of a redeemer that, you know, we've been talking about yesterday and today, this, this Messiah, Yeshua. I love how Tim Mackey with the Bible Project, I don't know if anyone here has watched the Bible Project, but it's amazing. I love how he says, the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus, that points to Yeshua. The whole Bible points to this promised redeemer given in the beginning. So where else do we see Yeshua in the beginning though? 
Where else do we see Yeshua in the garden? Now, a lot of you might know this, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's important. It's a good reminder. We see Yeshua, I believe, literally walking in the garden with his creation and the coolness of the day. But I also want to submit that we see him as the garden, as the garden of Eden. Genesis 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, which watered the earth. John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the spirit has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Yeshua was that garden with living waters flowing out of him, but not just any living waters, the living waters of the Holy Spirit that would not just give life to the physical earth, but would give life to all the world in a greater, much greater way. But likewise, the garden was that first meeting place. We know the later tabernacle and the temple, you know, we all, we all know this probably really well, was designed after the garden, was decorated after the garden with pomegranate trees and cherubim and palm trees, and it was beautiful because it was that meeting place. The garden was that first meeting place where God's presence dwelled. And so Yeshua was also literally a walking, talking garden temple, a place where God's presence dwelled, where his spirit and his truth dwelled. So wherever he went, he literally took God's presence with him, his spirit with him, creating pockets of heaven wherever he went. Wherever there was death, he brought life. Wherever there was brokenness, he brought wholeness. Wherever there was sickness, he brought healing. Where there was demons, he cast them out. Yeshua brought God's presence and light and life as a garden temple wherever he went. We know also, just as there was a first Adam, Yeshua was a second Adam or a last Adam. Because God so loved us that, I mean, just I'm going to pause here. Imagine you had an ant colony in your front yard. You love this ant colony so much, but like, oh my goodness, they made a mistake. Like, okay. But you love that ant colony so much that you're going to become an ant so you can save that ant colony. I wouldn't personally do that because, yeah, but that's literally what God did for us. He came in our own form and likeness. I mean, like the psalmist says, what is man that you even consider us? What is the son of man that you even consider us? But yet he loved us so much. He came in our own form and likeness. I know we know this so well, but this is so important. And it really is just mind-boggling. He loved us so much because this was the only way he could reverse the curse that had been brought about by the first Adam. To come to be tempted by the serpent, yet not sin. To be a sinless, spotless sacrifice so that he could take on himself the punishment that we rightly deserve. He also came as a second or a last Adam to restore the inheritance that we were given in the garden the inheritance to be image bearers, to represent our king, something that was stolen in the garden as we now followed in the broken footsteps of the first Adam. But Yeshua came to restore that so we can now walk as he walked in his footsteps, in freedom and in life. Because as Yeshua said, he came to give life and life abundantly. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they thought they could hide from God's presence. They could cover their nakedness with their own fig leaves. You know, it, it would be good enough, right? But it wasn't. 
do we not also try to do the same? You know, we, we're good enough. We can look clean on the outside. We got our fig leaves. We're set. You know, we're a good person, right? We don't need God. Or that's what we've heard some say, and we've even maybe thought that ourselves at some point. But it's not enough. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our sin, like the winds, take us away. The result of sin is death, separation from God's presence. The absence of light is darkness. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but Yeshua. But through Yeshua, he gives us the gift of life that we do not deserve. To be reunited, to be back in God's presence and in his light. We also see Yeshua as the sacrifice in the garden in a much greater way, as a sacrifice that would cover us, to cover our nakedness, to wash us and cleanse us. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Lastly, we see Yeshua in the garden as the promised redeemer, the offspring of the woman who would come to crush the serpent. And when Yeshua had his ministry on earth, his entire mission was to go around destroying the works of the enemy. Like I said earlier, where there was, you know, demons, he cast them out. Where there was hopelessness and depression, he spoke words of life and healing. Where there was darkness, he brought light. But just when the serpent thought, okay, you can get rid of this troublemaker, put him on a cross, there we go, sealed up, done, Yeshua crushed death and rose from the grave. As Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Yeshua has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But of course, we know this is not the end of the story. We know he's coming back. He's returning as king to finish the job, Revelation 20, verse 2, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and threw him into the lake of fire and sulfur. God's restoration plan has always been about a return to the garden, a restoration of his kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's wherever the king is. And we are invited to take part in that restoration plan. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So what is the gospel? The good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand and has arrived. It's that through Yeshua, we've been given the gift of salvation so that we can walk in sanctification, walking as Yeshua walked, so that we can be a part in God's restoration plan, so that we can be restored to God's presence and restore others to God's presence. So why is this important? I mean, even as I'm sharing all this, we've all heard this before. This is... You know, not something that's probably new to most of you. In fact, perhaps to some, the good news has become old news. We, you know, once we hear it once, we're good. We're set, right? And sometimes it turns out that we don't talk about it much in our services or, or to our family or to our children. 
But it's important because just like I mentioned at the beginning of this message, we have a generation of young people who are growing up hearing the lies of the culture, woke Christianity, progressive Christianity, cherry picking, irrelevant gospels, shallow gospels, hell gospels, whatever that might look like. And it is so vital and important that we speak the truth of God into their lives, that they meet Yeshua personally. Dear Heavenly Father, I just come before you right now. If there's anyone listening online, or if there's anyone here sitting in this audience, I just feel on my heart. Father, I ask that you reveal yourself to them personally, that you've given your son, Yeshua, Jesus, to give them this gift of salvation because you love them so much. Father, I ask that you bring healing where there has been hurt, abuse. You bring freedom, Father, where there has been bondage. You bring light where there has been darkness, Father. Father, I thank you for, I thank you for you, for your gift of Yeshua, Yeshua's name. The King is returning, and are you ready? If you have not accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, the time is now. If you have not repented, if there's secret sins that you've been holding on to, it's time to repent, to be washed clean. If you have not yet been baptized, the time is now. We're having baptisms tomorrow. Please come. We're called to be temples of the Holy Spirit, just like Yeshua was, a temple of spirit and truth, carrying God's truth, his word, with us wherever we go and carrying his Holy Spirit, walking in the power and the freedom of his Holy Spirit and taking that to others, bringing God's presence with us wherever we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom.